Psalm 67 as we look at this passage this afternoon. The congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Psalm 67 is believed by scholars to have been sung by the nation of Israel at harvest time. It was a song that really celebrated the blessings of the Lord that he had bestowed upon his covenant people. As verse 6 says, and it's, I think it's rightly translated in our ESVs, the earth has yielded her increase. And so we can imagine that this was sung at a time when the threshers were busy threshing the grain and filling up the barns, when oil was being pressed from the abundant grapes and, uh, or, or from uh, the olive trees, and, and wine was flowing from the wine presses. And so it was a time, we might say, when, when God's blessing upon them as a nation was, was visibly obvious. But if we look at Psalm 67 very carefully, we see that it did not just end there with the Israelites. Psalm 67 is a song that looked forward to the day when all the peoples of the earth would give thanks and praise to the true God. And Psalm 67 uh, suggests that, that all the peoples of the earth are blessed by God. They just don't know it yet. And they need to come to this knowledge. And that knowledge comes through us. And so some, uh, some scholars believe, or, or they refer to, the, to Psalm 67 as the, the missionary psalm. It's seen as an anticipation of the universal spread of the knowledge of God to all the nations. It looks forward to the day when all peoples would praise the God from whom all blessings flow. In the psalm, we see that though Israel saw themselves as tremendously and especially, perhaps even uniquely blessed, they understood that God's plan was that all the nations of the earth would live under his blessings as well. They would have known, of course, of the promise that God made to Abraham, that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and they saw that through them, the Israelites, through their enjoyment of the rich blessings of God, the nations were being called and drawn to worship him and praise him as well. In the Old Testament, we already see them trickling in, don't we? Gentiles who recognize the superiority of God's power. And so we read about people like Rahab and Ruth and the Gibeonites and Naaman the Syrian and Nebuchadnezzar, many others. But that was just a foretaste. The real ingathering would only begin with the coming of Jesus in the fullness of time. Jesus himself would say in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, again, speaking of his crucifixion, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And his great command was that the church would now make disciples of all nations. Or we might think of Revelation 5, which speaks of people redeemed by the blood of Christ out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so Jesus Christ is the, the means and the instrument whereby God has set Psalm 67 in motion. And guess what? We are, the, it's, we are the ambassadors. We are God's messengers. We bring this news of great joy, these, these tidings of great joy. And congregation, may our desire and our prayer be 
that, that of the inspired psalmist and of Jesus himself, that the many around us who, as we said, enjoy the rich blessings of God, yet do not know him, that they would come to know him and they would join us in praising him. And we need to remember this about ourselves. Lest we begin to separate Sunday from the rest of the week. Lest we begin to separate, as if they are two very different things, our spiritual lives from our work life. Our Christianity, we begin to see it as only for personal blessings and not to be a blessing to others. And so we need Psalm 67. We need to be reminded of its teaching here. Now, Psalm 67 begins with, very familiar sounding words, which we hear every Sunday in the blessing. That's the blessing that Aaron was commanded to pronounce upon the Israelites in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. And the inspired author, as he begins, he recalls this blessing as he takes his cue from the ripened fields all around him, as he looks around him and he sees the vines laden and hanging with grapes, and he, as he sees the bumper crop of olives, he remembers that Israel was a truly blessed nation. Of all the peoples of the earth, they were God's unique and specially loved people. He had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had smote their enemies that showed any kind of hostility toward them. He had driven their enemies from before them, and he had brought them into a land where they could prosper. What, what is Canaan called? The promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he promised them blessing in the promised land if they would live in obedience and dependence upon him. Listen to this promise that was made to, to Israel through Moses in Deuteronomy 28. Starting at verse 1, Israel is told, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall you be, or sh blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And so Israel would live under God's blessings as long as they walked in obedience and dependence upon Him. And we have to understand how important that was, that that blessing was. You see, in that time and culture, and, this, and Israel lived in an, in an agricultural culture, and in that time, unlike today, there was no crop insurance. There was no government assistance if your crop failed. There were no food banks to go to. If crops failed, death happened. And people went from, from being landowners and house owners to homeless and living on the streets and begging for a living. And, and crops, of course, can, could fail very, very easily. There were diseases. There could be drought. And if your, uh, your crops survived, in that time, 
Swarms of locusts could come by and descend and they could eat everything in sight. Or enemies, as in the case of uh, in Gideon's time, the Midianites, the, the enemies could come in, they could swoop in and they could plunder your fields and your flocks and take everything away. And so in that time, religion was tied very closely to agriculture. Even the pagan nations recognized that they needed the blessing of uh, the higher powers, let's say. The, the gods, the pagan gods had to be appeased. The pagan gods had uh, uh, Baal and Asherah, the gods of fertility and so on. And they had fertility rites which were not only immoral but abominable in so many ways, including things like temple prostitution and child sacrifice. And so even the pagan nations recognized that they had to do something to appease the higher powers. Not recognizing, of course, that God was the one who sent his reign upon the righteous and the unrighteous. But in their ignorance and foolishness, they continued to bow down before uh, gods of wood and stone. Israel was not to be like that. They were not to follow these ways. That's the warning that they hear again and again. They were to remember that they lived under the blessing of Yahweh, the true and living God. They were to know themselves to be living under his favor. And so from the ripening of the first heads of grain until the fields were harvested, there was great joy in Israel. Even for the poor, this was a, a time of celebration because, of course, the, the poor could glean after the harvesters and, and get themselves uh, some food. And Israel could sing God's praises because they recognized that after all was said and done, after they had put in all the manual labor, it was the, 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 the earth had yielded its harvest, its increase, because their God had blessed them. Because he had been merciful to them. Because he had made his face to shine upon them. Which was an indication of his favor upon his people. So far so good. But notice as well verse 2. Why Israel was to enjoy all these blessings. What was the purpose of, of being blessed in such wonderful ways? Was it simply that they could eat and drink and, and in abundance? That they might be prosperous, perhaps even more prosperous than all the other nations of the world? Absolutely not. The psalmist pleads for God's mercy and blessing so that God's way might be known on the earth, he says. His saving power among all nations. And so, the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his thoughts go from the prosperous fields... To the mission field. White for the harvest. As Jesus would say. And his thoughts go to the Lord of the harvest. And, and that captures the purpose of God's blessings upon his people. You see God wants all men. To know him. To love him. To trust in him. And his blessings upon us his people. Are meant to be evidences of his existence and his goodness. So that those on the outside may observe these things and come and seek him. And to seek to have a relationship with him. And that's not just the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul himself says something very similar to the people of Lystra in Acts 14 verse 17. He says to them that God did not leave himself without witness. Okay, So what is that witness that God has left, not left himself without? 
He says, in that he did good, giving us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And so the blessings that people enjoy are supposed to uh, turn their eyes and certainly their hearts to the true and living God. In Acts 17, Paul tells the Athenians, and here it's a little bit more explicit, he tells the Athenians that God gives to all life, breath, and all things, and here it comes, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Very similar language, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our very being. That's what God wants. He wants men to seek him. And why should men seek him? Why should people seek him? Because he alone holds salvation in his hands. That's what the psalmist means when he speaks of God's way so that your, your way may be known. He means the methods of God, the process by which he is restoring people, fallen sinners, to himself. And again, the nations may have had their pagan rituals by which they thought they had a relationship with the supreme powers or appease them or receive blessings from them. But really, and this is what uh, Israel needed to demonstrate, what we still need to demonstrate today, it's a true and living God alone, alone, who causes his sun to shine and his rain to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous. And his desire, as is expressed in Psalm 67 and Psalm 87, his desire is that all men would come to know him and be reconciled to him. Now in the Old Testament, that reconciling came through the blood sacrifices at the altars performed by Israel's priests and high priests. But we know that this is, as New Testament Christians, we know that this was all pointing forward to the great high priest to come who would lay down his life on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus himself uh, spoke of himself this way as the way. That in other words, he is the path that men must follow to God, to the Father. We cannot get to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. In Acts 4 verse 12, we hear that there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And so when we put it all together, we see that Psalm 67 is really being fulfilled today when those who are still outside observe the blessings of God's people. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, they desire it and they come to know the true and living God and the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as soon as we say that, if we're thinking, we realize that that puts obligations on us, doesn't it? We have the responsibility. We have that responsibility. We are all God's ambassadors. We are all God's messengers. We have the responsibility of putting on display God's blessings. Again, think of what Jesus, how Jesus referred to us, the church. He calls us the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Or think of what Paul says in Colossians 4 verse 5. He commands us to walk in wisdom to what those who are outside redeeming the time, indicating that the time is short. We have to make the most of it. And so we better be very, very careful how we live before the eyes of those who do not know the Lord. 
Or think of what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, here it comes again, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. And then Peter goes on in, in the remaining verses to tell us how we are to conduct ourselves honorably. What does that mean exactly? Uh, he first mentions obeying the authorities that God has placed over us. And that means, practically speaking, that God's people, more than anyone else on this earth, have to be law-abiding, order-maintaining citizens of our communities and countries of residence. It means that when the people from the outside, when they observe us, what they see is us being characterized by our joy, by our contentment, by our thankfulness. Or we might say the opposite side of the coin. So grouchiness, irritability, quick to anger. These things should not characterize God's children in this earth. Complaining, disunity, discontent, covetousness, greed. These are the opposite of being lights in this world that lead people to Christ. Instead, we are to carry ourselves about with dignity, honoring all men, living peaceable lives. Again, this is all quoting from 1 Peter. Respecting what others have, even being thankful for what people have instead of coveting it. Honesty and integrity are to describe us because when we look at ourselves, when we think of ourselves, we see and we understand ourselves as living under the blessing of God, under His sovereignty. Our marriages should exemplify godliness before the eyes of the world. Our marriages should be really startling to the people of this day and age who do not know Jesus. They should look at us and observe us and say, wow, how they love each other. What care they show for each other. What appreciation they express to each other. What interest they have in each other. How they speak to each other with such tenderness. I wish I had that in my marriage. In a culture that quite often views children as an, as an inconvenient expense. In a culture which views today gender as a choice. And marriage is an outdated institution. And wealth and title as the thing that defines you as a person. We as God's people are to display at every opportunity our joy in, in parenting, uh, in, in, in marriage, thankfulness for our spouse, uh, thankfulness for, for our joy in, in just being male or female. And we should be uh, putting on display our joy and our appreciation for our job and business as simply using God's gifts for His glory. That's what people should pick up as they view us. Everything we do, we have to be thinking, how is this going to affect the people who are observing me? Even you boys and girls. You know, how do you study in school? You pay attention. How is your behavior on the bus? Right? When a, a new kid comes to school, do you reach out to them? 
You show them Christian love. That's the Christian way. That's Psalm 67 behavior. Do we play with all the kids or do we pick and choose only certain ones? Well, Psalm 67 calls us to show the love of Christ to all, to be calling others to Jesus by our behavior. And, And for all of us, we need to be telling others about Jesus as well, not keeping it to ourselves. The gospel is not the church's well-kept secret. We need to be telling others. We need to be praying for opportunities for our neighbors and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them and and, and with those we come into contact with. Some people say, well, no, I I don't talk about the gospel. I don't talk about my faith. I just live it, right? And that's, that's, that's good in some ways. Absolutely, we need to live lives that bring praise and glory to God but we must also speak of Jesus. We are, what did Peter say? We are to be always ready to give a defense to anyone who asks us for the reason, for the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. And so I think it's fitting to ask this question to all of us this afternoon, including myself. Are we always ready to give that defense? Or if that moment should happen where somebody questions us about Christianity or challenges us that in a huff we will just say, well, I know what I know, I believe what I believe, and that's that. Let's just agree to disagree. That's not Psalm 67 behavior. And that's not a Psalm 67 attitude. Listen to verses 3 to 5. The psalmist expresses his wish. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the, let, and then he repeats it again. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And here the psalmist, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he expresses his wish, his desire, that all men, of the, all people of the earth, might come to praise the true and living God. Our ESVs does a nice job of translating the Hebrew here. It says peoples, not people. It's not pointing to one particular people of one particular race. The psalmist is pleading for all the peoples of the earth, men and women and children from every nation, tribe, and language, that they would all come to praise God. You might think of that parable of Jesus where he talks about the king sending out his servants into the highways and the byways and calling people in in, indiscriminately. And he spoke in his wonderful parable in Mark of, of spreading, scattering the seed of the gospel promiscuously, widely. And he commanded his, his apostles to preach the gospel. This is Acts 1. Preach the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is God's desire, that people of every culture and religion and philosophy would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is God's desire, beloved, and it must be our desire as well. The psalmist speaks of the nations being glad and singing for joy. We should want this for those who are outside of God's covenant. Because, to be frank, the people who do not know God, they think they're happy. 
but they don't. They, they do not. They don't know what they're missing, really. They content themselves with the silly things of this world that the devil throws to distract people. And, and pe the people who are unconverted at this point, they don't realize that what they are finding gladness and joy in are really, really temporary and, and do not bring lasting satisfaction. And so people chase after food and drugs and alcohol and they consume it today and they regret it tomorrow. And they buy all the toys that the advertisers tell you that you need. You have to have the latest cell phone or the, the latest pair of Nikes or whatever and the big screen TV, whatever it may be. And these things don't, last, don't, don't lead to lasting happiness. They only mire you in debt. And the thrill is gone very quickly. And the restlessness and the discontent that all men feel remains. And so our prayer, picking up on the cue of the psalmist of Psalm 67, our prayer must be that through our witness... And by the power of the Holy Spirit, many will come to find gladness and joy in the Lord. That they would see that only God can judge the earth with equity. That is, righteously. That only God can guide the nations on earth. You think of the, the earthly governors that we have. Presidents, prime ministers, kings, whatnot, political leaders. They're sinners. And they will always be biased. And they will always seek to do what's in their own interest. They will favor one group over another. Their desire is to get votes, not fairness or what is all right and wrong, what is in conformance with God's word. They have no, no care about that. Right and wrong, in the minds of many today, are determined by what, does the, what do the people want? Or, or what are they already doing? So we might as well legalize it. Only God judges righteously. Only he can provide for the needs of all with fairness and equity. And so only he is deserving of praise. And congregation, as we, in this, especially at this, uh, this time of the year, we drive around, we see all the nice green crops shooting out of the ground, the corn doing really well, canola yellow, right? Or, or we, whatever work we're in, we, we see ourselves accomplishing certain things. As we observe these things, let us delight in them. We can even anticipate the bountiful harvest. But let it remind us of the greater, more important ingathering, that is, of the nations and peoples who still do not know God. Again, the, the Lord who causes the earth to yield its increase is bringing about an abundant harvest of souls. And so, be thankful. Rejoice in the blessings that God has given you. To, to, to borrow the words from the writer of Ecclesiastes, eat and drink and find enjoyment in your work. If God blesses you with wealth, enjoy it. But let, us, let it also remind us that our success and our prosperity are not merely meant to be enjoyed for our own sake. They are a call to the nations to come to God. They are a call to the nations to seek shelter under His wings. They are a call to the nations to enjoy, to come and enjoy real peace and joy. 
the kind that living in a restored relationship with God our creator brings. And so should we pray that the Lord would bless the work of our hands with Moses? Absolutely. Let, we, we need to be praying for, for blessings upon our work. But don't let that help, uh, don't let that cause us to forget that we need to be praying also for the greater harvest of peoples. Peoples who will be praising God to the ends of the earth. And let us be using the wealth with this in mind. As a Psalm 67 Christian, let us be using our wealth to support God's kingdom work. Seminaries, missionaries, Christian schools, charitable ministries that, that take God's word and God's message to the nations. We need to be supporting these things and instilling in our children what they owe to the true and living God. Reminding them how blessed they are to be part of his covenant people. And let us live our lives as faithful witnesses in our own personal mission field. So that more and more would come to praise our God for his goodness, mercy, and salvation. Amen.